I'm Trisha Real, also known as Trish the Dish. And I'm Isaac Bluefoot, and this is Salty Astrology. Which you could take with a grain of salt. Honestly, a single grain is never enough. I want to like ask you if you have any pet peeves in astrology that really bother you. I do. I have one in particular that I would like to talk about. Yeah. And uh, it has to do with people saying, oh, it's the age of Aquarius because Pluto is going to enter Aquarius in 2024, January 20th of 2024. But that doesn't mean it's the age of Aquarius. It means Pluto is entering Aquarius. So it, it really bothers oh, oh, me. Time out. Yeah. When the age of Aquarius started becoming a thing in the 60s, were they talking about Pluto then? They were uh, having a poetic vision it was really did. true <laughs> yeah like they really nailed it because yeah. like the internet is like the greatest symbol of aquarius you could ever hope for a web of communication uh-huh but an age literally lasts 2160 years okay so maybe it's closer to 300 years away now okay that the actual age of aquarius is going to happen that's when the sun's ecliptic moves into the later degrees of Aquarius. 300 years from now. 300 years from now. So the hippies were kind of jumping the gun. Yeah, they were ahead of schedule. <laughs> Yet, they were saying something that would turn out to be poetically true. Yes, and there's also that thing like, you know how you can feel the vibes of the full moon before the full moon happens? Yeah. That's the same idea with the age. The Aquarian age is coming. And we are ushering it in, especially with Pluto about to enter Aquarius and a lot of other things. So you can feel the vibes, but it isn't technically the age of Aquarius yet. We probably won't be alive when it actually is happening. Okay, but I can't help but wonder again. The hippies were just making a guess. The new agers of the time of saying, hey, we're in the dawning of the age of Aquarius. It is the dawning. None of them knew social media was coming. No. But nonetheless, what could make their prophecy so accurate as social media? It perfectly encapsulates what they thought we were going to go into. They may not have been able to see the technology that would make it possible. Yeah. But they knew that they were becoming concerned with, say, a war in Vietnam. Yeah. So, again, they were reading actual real-world signs mm -hmm. and saying what it felt like and where it would land us in this wheel of astrology. Rather than saying, hey, let's identify this marker of this planet or this asteroid or this one that always still bugs me is the node of the moon. And, and yet, <laughs> what I mean to say is that there is a lot of arbitration in astrology. Things do seem arbitrary. And yet, when you start looking into things deeper, you can see that there was reasoning in some things. Well, okay, in a lot well, of things. Well, the reason why I say this, though, is I really can't emphasize enough that if I'm to read a chart, I am going to consider it more so that I read the person to understand what the chart says, rather than reading the chart to try to understand the person. The evidence is right in front of me. <laughs> they're breathing, they're living a life. I can ask them about that life and uh -huh. see where they're describing it from. Right. And then I take those descriptions of reality from that person Mm -hmm. Look at their chart, and then I can start getting an insight as to why they might be describing reality the way they do, 
perceiving the reality the way they do.、Mm -hmm. It seems extremely presumptuous of me to go and say, "Well, because you have this and this and this, this is who you are." Well, I mean, there's also it's fun to look at what the lore says. Like maybe、oh, yeah. there are things you can't see that are internal that you don't know anything about, and then the astrological chart presents a lore that. Exactly describes that thing, and I've experienced it over and over and over. Where I tell people, like, I don't know anything about this, but this particular aspect, you know, suggests yada yada, and they'll go, "Wow, I can't believe that!" Because, and then they tell me a story that validates the th weird thing, and I don't understand it because I didn't make up this stuff. Well, but in the <laughs> end, we're just trying to provoke them to tell us stories to add to our own body of lore. And to trust that other astrologers were listening is to look at the body of astrology and each of、oh, this aspect means this and this means that, and so all of that body of astrology is observational science. Yeah. At some point, it only got written down because someone took the time to ask somebody about their life long enough to hear the lore that was being presented to them. And as much as I'm like, oh, I'm going to use you to read your chart and not use your chart to read you. <laughs> I have to confess. Obviously, I have to go back and forth because if you learn something, you're going to want to test、yeah. to see if it's true. So, if I have a friend, for instance, who has their Saturn in the seventh house opposite to their ascendant, and they tell me, "Yeah, I definitely have a thing for the older guys." Got a whole plex about my dad not paying attention to me, <laughs> and me trying to fulfill it by finding older men that will pay attention to me in the way that I want to make that feel and work right. And I'm like, that certainly is indicated in the placement of your Saturn to your ascendant. Yes. Sure. Yeah. And then meeting somebody else with the exact same aspect and asking them, would you describe your relationship with your father and how that's in turn led to relationships like this? And just watch their jaw drop and their eyes turn wide and like, how did you do that?、Uh, yeah, there are like, certain things that do seem to ring true more than other things、uh, when I've you know. Observed the charts that I've done, but there's also there's this guy、uh, named Gokulan who is an astronomer who was doing a basically statistical study on astrology, and he wanted to disprove theories of astrology, and so he basically took charts of people that had excelled in certain occupations. And、uh, you know, if they were charts of people who excelled in、uh, like military, they were really Big、uh, lieutenants, or who knows what, or they could have been people with black belts, that kind of thing. And then he did people who excelled in science and got Nobel prizes. He did people that were really famous actors. And what he found, especially with the military and ninja people, was that there was a statistically significant amount of people that excelled in those areas that had Mars really prominent in their charts. Either at their ascendant or at their midheaven, or conjunct one of their primary energies on moon or ascendant, and the astrologers were all like, "Uh huh, we told you," <laughs> because that's really traditionally, you know, if you see a strong Mars placement, then it's somebody who has strong Martian energy, not like the kind of little green aliens with antennas, no, but, but physicality. You know, yeah, physicality. Yeah. So yeah, so that was kind of interesting. And then he discovered another thing, which now astrologers use, which is、uh, we call them the Gokulan sectors, and it's basically the placement of Jupiter in certain areas. Like if you have Jupiter placed in certain areas in your chart, 
it points to, you know, success in entertainment when there's other things I'd have to look at them because oh, I haven't memorized funny. them. But so then astrologers get to use this whole other thing. That, so we're happy for, for scientists who want to come in and, you know, do their thing. Did Gokulon <laughs> eventually come to go, okay, maybe this stuff is actually real? Uh, you know, I didn't know him personally. Okay. <laughs> I just have to wonder because now he has an astrology phenomenon named after him. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to wonder, is he salty about that? He may be. It's a little ironic. <laughs> oh, it's, it's especially ironic. Yeah. I, I have to wonder how, how he landed on that side. Anyways, with all those gripes being said, I think we should get on to next week's astrology. Yeah, it would be cool to discuss actually the full moon that is coming up on November 27th. This is a Sagittarius sun a with Sagittarius a sun. Gemini moon. Exactly. And it's going to be at 1.16 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So, you know, adjust for your is location. Is it on the 27th or the 26th? Which it's the it? very early morning of the November 27th if you're on the West Coast. So if you're on the East Coast, the 26th, okay. the nighttime. Got it. Um, so 26th, 27th, and this full moon, we have the Sun and Mars conjunct still, which means they're really close together. They're within two degrees. So Mars is at two degrees, Sun at four degrees. So it's really close. And then the Sun and Mars are opposite the Moon in Gemini, which is also a mutable sign. So that is, uh, it's a very different energy than the new moon that we talked about last, which is you know, it's more, it's all this intense Scorpio energy, a lot of change and fixed energies that you need to practice your flexibility. And then you practice flexibility so much that when the full moon happens, the adaptability gets a really a lot of airtime. <laughs> Isn't that the general transition from any fixed sign to mutable sign though, really? Well, usually when we have a cycle, we'll have a new moon that starts in say a fixed sign and then the full moon will also be in a fixed sign so this is a very unusual kind of trance cycle for the moon you mean in that what we're landing on is a full moon early into a sign because we're going to get the new moon in sagittarius after like you know two weeks from now halfway through the cycle usually the cycle is more in the same quality but because of how things have panned out with the dates. With the sun and the moon. Because you know, like, this is really moon. the solar year and a lunar year and how they align up. And this is why we have some blue moons and whatnot down the yeah, road. Yeah, I mean, the blue moons aren't really astrological phenomena as much as they are, uh, you know, calendar phenomena. No, they're arbitrary lines. People <laughs> are like, oh, well, now that means that there were two moons of the full in this month. And like, where do you draw a line on a month if not by the moon <laughs> itself? Anyways, again, I'm, I could I could complain all day and we'd never find out anything more about what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah. that said, I just wanted to clarify that whenever we go from a fixed sign to a mutable sign and we change from one season to another, we're going to have a sense of like learning the flexibility that we weren't having previously. Yeah, and that's pretty much what this cycle is about, which is unusual because so much fixity in this particular, you know, leading up to the new moon that we, I should say, had on <laughs> November 12th, 13th, and now getting to this full moon on November 26th, 27th. 
And it has a lot of mutable energy because the sun and moon are going to be opposite in mutable signs, but they're also going to be making a square to Saturn. Saturn is the planet of life lessons, limitation, structure, form, that kind of thing. And it's in Pisces, which is another mutable sign. So that's making a grand, well, not a grand square, but what they call a T-square. Mm -hmm. So, And we should also note that that's not just doing this with Saturn. It's like Mars is involved in this. Mars is involved in the square. It's conjunct with, with the sun. Yeah. Mars is conjunct the sun opposite the moon and square Saturn. So it's definitely, it's kind of interesting because Mars is all about go, go, go. And Saturn is about wait, wait, wait. And so there's a lot of stop, go energy with this. It's like you were trying to be immutable, but I then I don't want to say that entirely. I want to speak up and say, because Saturn is ruled by Capricorn. True. And the energy of Capricorn is cardinal. And it's not saying just wait, wait, wait. It's hold till the right time. Also true. It's a different thing than just saying wait. Like all of those mutable planets that are indecisive are in a state of waiting. But Capricorn's not that. It's saying, hmm, discipline, don't strike until ready, Mars. Yeah. True. Yeah. And with this particular aspect, that's what I have known it to be is a stop go. It's, you know, you have to wait until you can get your ducks in a row and then you go. Yeah, yeah. I think that like Saturn and Capricorn, I think a very strong like parental energies. It's like a discipline figure. Yeah, and Saturn in Pisces is a very unusual place for Saturn because it, Pisces is a water sign. It's the last sign of the zodiac. And so it's not really about form as much as feeling into form feeling what feels right. And so there's a lot of feely, sensey stuff that we're going <laughs> to have to um, integrate uh, with this full moon. So it says. Well, again, <laughs> the way I read it, it would be that Saturn is going to be in Pisces for quite a while, as we mentioned last mm -hmm. episode. Yeah. And the thing that's going on here is that the planet of action and physicality, the sense of the ego and self, they're together, and they're opposite to the emotional aspects of ourselves, and then being kind of hit by the disciplinary aspects of ourselves, that then all of them are colored in the sign they're in. So the disciplinary self, it'll be a little softer and more intuitive than we would normally get if it was in a, like a harder sign. So it's my interpretation would be that we're not getting a watery aspect applied to this full moon with Mars so much as we're getting a softer hand of the parent. Yeah. And that said, there's also some other uh, strange things that are going on and in regard, not just that we have a T-square. Uh, and a lot of times the pathway to resolution with a T-square is where there is no planet on the opposite side of where it would be if it made a full square. Got it. So, so that would be in the Virgo area. So sometimes it's, it, you know, it may just be that we have to look into the specifics in order to really make the changes we want to make. Speaking of specifics, though. Yes. I th everyone's got a specific chart. <laughs> True. And, and I'm going to just quickly reflect on this. This is all happening in Sagittarius in the fourth degree. So this is still in my first house. And that means that I will also still have Mars in my first house. I was taking what you said last time 
into account and I'm going to make sure I initiate a good exercise routine yeah. during this particular 50-something days that I'll have Mars riding through my first house so that perhaps I can maybe instill that in my routine after it leaves my first house, becomes more physical in the second house, so to speak. But um, realizing that it's 687 days before Mars comes back around again. It's about two years, yeah. I'm getting older every year, and <laughs> Mars ain't coming around every year. So I'm really going to try to see how well I can take advantage of that. Uh, well, one thing that could help people, I think, is to know that the last time Mars was going through Scorpio and Sagittarius was two years ago. So this was like November, December of 2021. So you. In some ways, there's something similar. So you can think, well, what was going on then that is sort of similar to now as some way to improve upon whatever happened way back then. So uh, anywho, uh, sometimes when Saturn, uh, planet of life lessons, limitation, structure, and form, it makes a square, which is a 90 degree angle to Mars and the sun, it is a bit of a reality check. So that's something that could be going on at the full moon. And this is also a kind of a weird one that's going on at the full moon. And we have another square between Neptune and Mercury, and it's exact. Now Mercury deals with communication and thinking, and Neptune is the planet that is the planet of illusion. It's the god of the sea, compassion, understanding, and it's also known as the dissolver. I also will say it's probably a good part of intuition. It's a Piscean planet. It's a very feeling your way through. Yes. And so with Mercury square Neptune, they'll say that communication may not always be so direct. It might even be incorrect. It could be even misleading. Hmm. There could even be lies <laughs> because it's based on the imaginary. There's a certain degree of lack of clarity that's going to be going on. It could be. For me, I basically, I can tell if somebody's lying just by looking at them. Mm -hmm. I can also tell if they're standing up. Mm. -um -boom. <laughs> nice. Uh, for how I see it is, especially with stuff going on in the 12th house and the Pisces things and the Neptune things, there's a lot of self-deception that gets involved. Could be. So it's not necessarily that people are intending to lie. It's just perhaps they're not ready to admit the truth. And when you're meeting a square with Mercury, the chances are that the truth that you're not willing to meet might accidentally cross into the world of communication and the verbalized. And how authentically you're going to communicate those things is going to become the lie. Because once you try to say something that you're not to terms with, you're not going to represent it as it actually is. You're going to represent it as best you're willing to admit. Sure. So, you know, it could be helpful to remain quiet. Yeah. <laughs> this is where I like to believe we're not a prisoner of astrology, is the advantage of knowing that not just, oh, will people be lying to me that week? <laughs> will I be lying to myself that week? And how will that look when I try to communicate those strong feelings to others? Mm-hmm. Because we don't have to lie because there was a square. Yeah, it might not be intentional, you know. Well, no, but I'm saying was yeah. we could also, with the awareness that there's a square and that we're dealing with a feeling in ourselves that subconsciously maybe not wanting to come to terms with, maybe that is partially what coming to terms looks like. And ideally, the whole point of making any 
astrology podcast as we're doing now would be to give people the chance to know that maybe you're going to have an opportunity to communicate something in your subconscious this week that will be hard and maybe start as a lie, but this is a square. <laughs> it could finish as a truth. Squares are not necessarily, oh, all oh, bad. They're like a hard time to get to something else. Yeah, they tend to be pretty dynamic. So yeah, yeah this is, you know, this is a dynamic thing that is an aspect going on. And there's also another weird aspect that is gonna be happening some days later, a couple of days after the full moon, which kind of relates to this. And it's the sun will be moving to about, you know, six or seven degrees a couple of days later. So a couple of degrees ahead. And it's going to be making what we call a quincunx to Jupiter. A quincunx? Quincunx is 150 degrees apart. It's also known as inconjunct. And it's a very... 150 degrees. So it's 30 degrees less than an opposition. Yes. So a sextile 60 degrees. What's 30 degrees? Semi-sextile. So this is the opposite of a semi-sextile because it's an almost opposition. Yeah, although semi-sextiles, um, I don't really pay attention to them very much. Uh, well, I don't pay much attention to quincunks. Quincunks. Quincunks, either. Yeah, the quincunxes, I like them because it's like, Two energies that wouldn't normally have to work together do have to work together. Uh, and sometimes that you'll see a lot of quincunxes in the charts of comedians because they are putting like weird stuff together that normally wouldn't fit. Oh, that you would know? explain why you know what a quincunx is and you know, <laughs> in the slightest because you know comedians. I know a lot of comedians. Yeah, yeah. that would explain a lot about... <laughs> So um, Jupiter is the planet of luck and expansion. It's in Taurus, which is Earth-based and really, you know, very much more uh, practical. But it's also, it wants to expand, right? Mm -hmm. But practically expand. And oftentimes the quincunxes can be a little bit awkward in terms of energy. So this is a thing where we might not know how big to go. We might not want to go too big too fast because the Jupiter in Taurus once is an energy that would suggest us to be more methodical rather than hopeful. Okay, I want to so, ask though, how much lore is there on the quincunxes not in birth charts? Well, basically, if you're asking about information uh, we haven't really been doing even the common person's chart for more than a hundred years it used to be that we were just doing the charts of kings and countries hmm. and so we don't have a lot of statistical data to look at when we're looking at a personal chart it's a really a relatively new science so to speak. yeah yeah i mean astrology and astronomy were the same science up until about 300 years ago and then there was a big separation because some astrologers were charlatans and were scaring people and so the people that didn't want to be scaring people decided to make an offshoot and become astronomers and just be science-based and not really discuss the lore hmm. and so that was uh that was something that happened but now we're in a different time period where we have the ability to create statistical information on personal charts but i'm not somebody that's doing that work because i'm busy yeah, tell me about it. I'm waiting until somebody can just get all the birth charts as possible 
and all of the journaling that those people with those charts could possibly be given to an AI to then look at all the aspects and listen to the journals that everyone's got. And I'm like, guys, we're going to see some really interesting correlations. Yeah. But none of us should take the time to sort through <laughs> that data set. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, and that's what makes, I guess, it such a frustrating thing again for the people who want to be information purists, like people who become astronomers and strictly uh, mm -hmm. swear off of any such lore as astrology. Yeah, be. because it really is extrapolating and there's, you know, astrology is you're observing and you're seeing how does it correlate with the people that you meet because we all have such multifaceted personalities and it's just a great way to describe personalities. It just seems like such a shame that we have a potential for a data set that has been revealed for a while now yeah and it's stupid that it is real but <laughs> it's really hard to uh what was that guy's name again gokalon gokalon mm -hmm. yeah that he may want to disprove it it's so nice of him to put all that effort in because again no one should put too much effort into this ridiculous data set that you'll never get a conclusive answer from <laughs> So thank you, Gokalon, for doing the lifting that the mm -hmm. rest of us get to go live our lives and experience astrology in real time, which is my preference. Yeah. And, you know, I also do like to just look at what are the actual cycles, what's really going on. And, you know, Jupiter, part of why it's known as the planet of luck and expansion is that it is basically protecting Earth from all of these you know, space junk, like there's all these rocks and all this other stuff that Jupiter is just with its giant gravitational energy is just, you know, basically absorbing all this crap from outer space so that we're protected. Yeah. You say after the, um, the full moon, the moon's going to progress away from that square in Saturn where it has our feelings are going and working hard to learn some sort of tough lesson from wherever Saturn's intuitive position is. But it's then going to progress from the air sign that it's in and into the water sign next. And from that water sign, it will trine with Saturn in the Pisces water sign. Yeah, so there's going to be uh, some harmonizing. It's just, you know, a matter of making peace with all the ways that you might need to be adaptable. So it may be that the end of November is somewhat awkward uh, because of the quincunxes and the need to be adaptable. But, you know, don't label me socially awkward. You know, how can you judge me if I've never even talked to you? But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's again, following that advice of before you stick your foot in your mouth and say something not true, get ready to admit that you said something not true because chances are you're going to say it. Okay, so wherever you got in your chart, your Sagittarius action, your Gemini action, and your Pisces action, go look at that and try not to make any conclusions because you're probably wrong. This is not that big moment in your relationship that you've been waiting for. Uh, this is not the big job break that you have been waiting for. And if it is, please let us know so we can add this to our notes and learn and become better astrologers. That's my deep wish for anybody out there who's listening to us is to like give us too many notes to look at and maybe we'll have an AI go through it. <laughs> maybe. 
<laughs> we don't have one of those yet. Not yet. Okay. So thanks for um, talking with me about the stars, Trish. Yeah. Thanks for talking with me. They suck and they look like a scattering of salt across the sky. <laughs> <laughs>